Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Today I'm going to talk about if you are a note taker, you can write this down, the process between the pain and the promise. If this is your first time here, welcome. We do not bite. We are a church, but we're a very friendly church. As you can see, we're noisy, we're fun, we love to do stuff together. So please hang out after. But just to recap what Ryan said, if you haven't already heard it, the first week he actually spoke from um, Peter's life and the book of Ephesians. And he said, you know, sometimes we look at that scripture, Ephesians, and it says to expect that our God will do immeasurably more than we can ask for. And when we think of that word, we're like, God is so good. Like, he's going to give us way more than we, we can expect. And that is correct. But we don't often understand that word immeasurably. It means you cannot measure it, which means you cannot control it. So when God brings his immeasurable goodness, you will be out of control. And for most of us, that is very scary. So I won't give it all away. Go and listen to it. And last week, he talked about... God pruning away the fruit, fruitful fruit in our life so that we can bear more fruit, but also cutting away the dead ones. That's, that's a good one to go and listen to it. But today I want to talk about process because I feel like if we do not understand process, we may view pain, we may, we, we may view hard situations, tough stuff as something to avoid, as something to blame others, as something to take control, or we may view pain as complete hopelessness. But I'm going to read from Mark 8, verses 22 and 26. And this is how it goes. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, Jesus can do some strange things, and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go, don't even go into the village. How many of you, when you read that passage, is a little confused about how Jesus chooses to do certain things? When some other stories tell you that Jesus was walking and he healed a blind man by not doing this. Sometimes he healed people by wire word. By, sometimes he healed people by their faith. But in this story... He does something really strange. And I, as I was reading, I was thinking, you know, God could have made it easy on us and made a standard way of praying and a standard way of doing things. So it would be easy for us to control that if we prayed a certain way, if we did a certain thing, God would show up. But he doesn't. He likes to complicate things because he wants to establish who's boss. God is the original G. Okay? He... He put this story there 
for us to be a little offended. Why? Because God's healing of this blind man is unique only to his story. So let's not make religion out of a method, but let's focus on Jesus himself in this story. You notice how he said, you know, the, the, the whole context of this, just a little before this story, he was hanging out with his disciples. They, uh, they did no big thing. They fed like 5,000 people out of, you know, two loaves and five fish. Happens every day. Walking with their disciples, he then does this. So the context of that is they've seen this great miracle. Okay, his di disciples are already like, this guy's, we're starting to believe he's a bit crazy. Is he who he says he is? Is he the Messiah? And then Jesus does this. In front of his disciples, he takes the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. I love verse 23. Because this is what God does before he does anything in our life. He takes us by the hand. He establishes relationship before any transformation. Can you imagine being blind? Have you, have you pictured yourself? I mean, I've done this a few times, just close my eyes for a little bit, and it kind of stifles me, it suffocates me. For me, I think being blind personally would be more suffocating than being deaf or dumb. And it just by the story, you probably understand, because he said, I see people that look like trees, that at one point, he probably had sight because he knew what trees look like. So as I was thinking about this story, this man at one point had everything and then had it taken away. How many of us here have had everything and then had it taken away? That is the worst kind of pain I feel because you knew what it was before, and you know what it feels like now. And here's this blind man, okay? This, he sees, if you, if you notice, he probably didn't have the strength. He thought, you know what, I've been blind for so many years, nobody cares about me. They would put the blind people in one part of the society, leave them there, because they were considered cursed. A lot like the religious faith around us where if something is wrong in someone's life, immediately we're like, well, what have they done? That's the kind of mentality they had. And so he was probably, a, you know, far away in a corner. And then it said some people, in another version it said, um, his friends. It didn't say family, it said his friends. That's why we do community. Sometimes you will not have the strength. You need friends around you to bring you. But I love how when your friends bring you to Jesus, it's not enough. You need a personal encounter. You need to feel his touch. And Jesus is so gentle. He takes him by the hand, and then it says he leads him outside the village. You know, that village we were talking about was the one where he was the cursed guy. The village represented his past. The village represented hopelessness. For him, the village represented everything that was not good because nobody loved him in that village. And so what does Jesus do? He takes him by the hand. The village also probably represented unbelief because for so many years he was in this village and he did not see a miracle. 
So for him, when he associated this, uh, this village, he associated unbelief. He associated that if, so, if for so many years God could not do anything, he's not going to do it now. And so some friends brought him, probably the only friends he had, brought him to Jesus. And Jesus takes him by the hand and then takes him out of his unbelief and takes him to a place where he then goes to do something pretty crazy. It says, when he had spit on the man's eye and put his hands on him, notice, he's just affirming him through the weirdness, through the offensive action, he's affirming him. Jesus asked him, do you see anything? You know, to understand offense, to understand why would Jesus use something so weird like spitting on someone's eye? He could have just given a word and we know he would have been healed. But for God, for this man, it was about the process, not about the one moment miracle. And he just stood there and he spat on him. But there's something about the father's touch through Jesus in that moment. There's something about the warmth that Jesus is assuring him. It's almost like he's holding him and he's giving him a punch at the same time. You know, it's like, come here. I just, you know, because who knows to actually get you out of something, you actually have to get out of something. And getting out of something is not an easy process. So, you know, I was thinking of this own thing, this whole idea of the redemption of unbelief or, you know, why Jesus, just focusing on this, well, why did Jesus have to take this guy out? I was thinking of, you know, where did pain originate from? Like, why is this guy made? Why did Jesus allow him to go from one place to the other to make a point? And, you know, when you go back, I like to go back to Genesis, although it is quite a crazy book. Go back to the beginning, and it reminds me of Jesus doing something similar, God doing something similar in Genesis 3 when, I don't, I'm just going to, it's not on um, the verses, but when Adam and Eve sinned, when Jesus said, hey, you know, don't partake of that, that stuff's self-knowledge, that stuff's the tree of good and evil. The, you have the source of life here. Be a part of this tree. Don't touch that. They did that. We know the story. If you don't, I can explain it to you after. But it's when they sin and God goes to them and we read that chapter 3 and get quite uncomfortable because we see God as a loving God. We see God as someone who's created them in this beautiful garden. And then we see God chucking them out of the garden, the very garden that he created for them. He then chucks them out. And it's very perplexing when you think of this whole idea for loving God. But who knows, to really love someone, you have to be able to do it out of a choice. If you weren't given a choice, you cannot truly love. So Adam and Eve, in that choice, chose to disobey. And often we look at the scripture as God's punishment. But do you know that God planned redemption? Because he knew what we would do. And in order to bring redemption, to save them, he had to take them out of the garden. Because if they would be there near the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would have died. So he took them out to save them. But in that moment, we look at it as God is a mean God. 
but he took them out and through pain, years later, brought about the original purpose of why we were all created. And sometimes in our life, God will take us out of a situation that seems so cruel, but through pain will form purpose in our lives. He takes this blind man out of this situation of unbelief where he sat there for so many years to bring purpose, even though it looked offensive at that moment. And you know, sometimes we get stuck in stage two. We like the fact that God loves us and he's got his arm around us and he's affirming us. And then he spits on us, trying to get us out of this, you know, place of being stuck, out of our blindness, out of this place of years of rejection, out of this place of darkness. And he might have to do something offensive to get us there. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. God is not the cause of sickness. There's, I would say, kind of three types of pain pain that we create, pain that others create to us, and pain that God allows us to go through. In these types of pain, God will redeem your story if you stay in that place he brought you. I want to read verse 25. 24, said he looked, when he spat on the man's eye and put his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? Do you see anything? So first he offends him, and then he asks him a question. Who knows when Jesus asks questions, he doesn't need the answer. He knows what you're going to say. When Jesus asks questions, it's often to uncover the state of our heart. It's often to uncover our crutch. It's often to find out, do we really believe from the inside out? Or is it just, oh, Jesus is looking. Everybody act nice. We come to church. Put your game face on. Jesus doesn't work like that. He doesn't work from the outside in. He works from the inside out. So where Jesus is trying to put, he's trying to put his hand, his, his pulse on what this blind man's really feeling. And he says, what do you see? I've spat on you, now tell me what you see. I've jolted you a little bit, now tell me what you see. He was trying to shake him out of that comfort of unbelief. And he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. How many of us in this moment, when Jesus says, what do you see, don't see hope? Because we think, you know what? This is it. If God is taking me out of this place. I'm in a new place. I don't even know my old habits. I can't even, you know, trying to crutch on to my old stuff. I can't seem to grasp it. And now he's asking me what I see. I don't see anything. I just smell spit. Most of us are in that place of offense when God is trying to do something. He's trying to shake you out of your, you know, discomfort. And you're just like, oh, yeah. You start complaining about everything that you don't see happen. These are the questions we ask. How could you ask me to go back and ask for forgiveness, God? Really? After all that, you know what I've been through the last 30 years of being blind, and now I'm here, and you're saying go and ask forgiveness? How could you leave me hanging? That's another one. How could you let me wait for so long? Why did you allow this to happen to me? 
when life seems so offensive to us, can we still trust him? And that's hard, guys. That's hard. I don't say it as someone who's devoid of trials and testing. I don't say it as someone who knows it all, because I really don't. Actually, the more you get to know God, the more you realize you don't know. I, I actually say it out of a place of, of, of struggle, of suffering, of emotional times. When God seems to be in that place and he's trying to ask you, what do you see? And all you see is blurry visions of the future. When he's given you a promise that you will see, but right now you cannot see beyond maybe a foot or you can't see anything at all. Some of you may not even be in that place that he's trying to lead you because you just don't even have the energy to think that any good can come out of being blind. And here Jesus, he's not being cruel. He's being a good friend. He's looking at him, saying, what do you see? Because based on what you see, I'll tell you where you're going to go. And as soon as he realized that he is seeing enough, he is not living in unbelief. He's taking the first step. He may not see clearly, but he's trying to take the first step toward me. I'm going to meet him there. It says, once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. That's our loving God. It really is. No matter what we go through, no matter how beaten we feel, I just love the fact that it says once more. Once more. How many of you need to hear right now once more? Once more, God is going to do what he promised to do. God is going to get you out of that place which you think pain is going to destroy you. And he's going to take that pain and use it to purpose you into his, his future, your future, your destiny, which the enemy has tried to tell you that pain means you have suffered sin because of your action. Pain means you're not going anywhere. Pain means hopelessness. Pain means sin. Pain means struggle. Pain means doubt. You got to stay there. But God is still there. Still there waiting, putting his arm around you saying, pain is not going to leave you where you're at. Pain is going to purpose you into the future and the plans God has for you. Because no pain can stop you. Because God used Adam and Eve's pain to then bring about the seed who would save us. He used her womb that was cursed to bring about the greatest blessing that we need. That is the God we serve. If you trust him when you do not understand, when all you see are blurry trees, he just stay in there and believe that what he said he will do, he will do. That's the God we serve. It says, then his eyes, I love this, it says, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes in verse 25. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. 
Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into that village. You know, I just find it funny that God used this whole miracle in front of his disciples. So often we think that if God is going to do what he should do, he should do it for me. He should do it in my private place so I'm not, you know, been put to shame. He should do it in a, in a time when I need it, in my time. He should do it when I've cried out. It needs to be then. But sometimes, sometimes God will wait to put you in the place of greatest influence and greatest impact and then create a miracle out of your pain so that you don't get the glory, but he does. That's the kind of God we serve. It's not all about us. You know, God took Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden where they tried to self-worship. They tried to make themselves better than God. They tried to fall for that sin, that trap that said, if you eat this, you will be better. If you eat, they were already placed in the best relationship. They didn't have to fall for the lie. But a lie says, if you have this, you then will have this. Because the lie is the lie of identity. The lie is the lie of sin. Sometimes in our life, God will use pain to take the eye out of us and bring glory to him. And those situations require time. They require patience. God was not just healing this blind man of blindness. He was healing the disciples' unbelief to see him as Messiah. The next story after this is about him asking, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter had a revelation that you are the son of God. Sometimes God will create an environment for you, for your pain to be purposeful for not just you and your family, but for many others around you. So when you avoid pain, when you pretend it's not there, you know, sometimes it looks like this. Pain that is undealt with looks like hardness. It looks like offense. It looks like isolation. It looks like doubt. It looks like secrecy. It looks like insecurity. It looks like suspicion. When God uses pain for your purpose, it's like he has already humbled you. So nobody can get the glory but him. So stop trying to do it on your own. If you avoid pain and you try and take the shortcuts, if you try and hold on to addictions that are quick fixes or relationships that kind of tickle your fancy, or that could be taken in a minute. Anyway, I'm not going there. But you know what I mean. Don't take shortcuts because you might be avoiding the best and most fruitful journey of your life. Take the road that is long. Take the road that is hard. Take the road that there's pain in. Take the road that there's brokenness in. Take the road where there's freedom because that's where God is going to deliver you from your pain to your purpose. And it's not just for you. When God uses your life, it's always for someone else because you are a gift. Each one of you is a gift. We don't see ourselves like that. Years of unbelief. Can you imagine being that blind man? 
in a village where he was rejected and hopeless, branded as a sinner, as cursed. Some of you, it may not be about the outward. It could be stuff that you've been dealing with for years where you just feel like blind on the inside and you're just stuck there. What must it have felt to be embraced in all his unbelief? That's the God we serve. That's the God who redeems everything. And sometimes pain may mean that you have to go and forgive somebody. Sometimes to embrace the pain, it might mean that you have to say no to something. Sometimes to embrace the pain, it may be to stay. Sometimes to embrace the pain, it may mean you have to go. Sometimes to embrace the pain, you might have to walk extra miles to love somebody. Sometimes to embrace the pain, it may not be about you, but embrace it anyway. Because we have Jesus, our forerunner, where if he hadn't embraced his pain in the cross, we would not have redemption, we would not have joy, we would not have resurrection. If it wasn't for the pain he embraced, there wouldn't be the life we have today. So you know right now that on the other side of your pain is your healing. On the other side of your pain is your greatest breakthrough. On the other side of your pain is the life that God has intended you to live since the beginning of time. That God, you know, God is, I just, he blows my mind because he could have just, oh, you know what, this is your future. No matter what happens to you, I'm just going to allow you to meet that purpose. But God chooses you to partner with. He does not want to do it without you. Because he values you so much. And then I love how he says to the blind man, Jesus put his hands and said his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. There were three things that happened. His eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. As I was reading this, I was just meditating. I just kept repeating this to myself. God, God, what, is, what are you trying to say? Why you mentioned three stages of his healing? And God said, first, I made sure to check on the inside if he believed that I could do what he said I could do. Is he relying on me even when things aren't fully what I said it would be? In the mess, this guy didn't receive his full healing. He was relying on God. He said, I see it. I see it. I see it. It's part, but I see it. And then God says, I'm going to, because you believe from the inside, watch what I do to your world on the outside. It starts with the most, the most obvious outside. It says his eyes were opened. Then his sight was restored. And then clarity came. He didn't do it from the outside and he waited in God. It's not to say that God is depending on how we believe. You notice what he did. He first established relationship. Then he challenged him out of love. After the challenge, he then brought the healing. And sometimes healing is a process. 
God uses our pain, our miracle for others to help us with our unbelief, to bring us closer to him, to show he's God and we're not. And it will always be to bring him glory. It's always to grow us, for us not to rely on ourselves. Pain is an opportunity to believe again. What God wanted to do in this man, he wanted to do for the disciples too. When God truly transforms us, everyone around us will be affected. How does this apply to me? How does this, what can I do with this information? Is it just inspirational? Is it just a good feeling? How do I apply this? And as I was praying about this, you know, God pointed out my own blindness, my own need for dependence on him, my own pride, my own self-righteousness, my own entitlement. God, look how much I've done for you. You owe me this. And <laughs> he highlighted the fact that we all need friends to call out our blindness. We all need someone where we can go and say, hey, what blindness do you see in me? Are we secure enough in God that we can go to a friend? Not just any friend. Not someone who's as blind as you. <laughs> Probably see, you're doing amazing. <laughs> but someone who maybe knows a little bit more about what you're going through. Someone you can take good advice, sound counsel from. Someone who may know a little bit more about relationships, about hard times, about struggle. You know, unfortunately in these times we can't we can't use the crutches we sometimes use. There's a time to be still. There's a time to move. I know in, in our marriage, we balance it out because I know Ryan's always used his excuse, oh, I'm just an introvert. That's just me. And I've just used this. Well, I'm just an extrovert. Just deal with it. <laughs> and God uses these moments of pain, to get out of these excuses we make for ourselves. To get out of this unbelief that says, this has been your state for 30 years. You've been blind for so long. Nothing's going to change. Poor you. The accuser sits there and mocks you. And you feel like you should take it on because it's more comfortable to believe a sinner than to believe that God has the best for you sometimes. But God doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to have a friend that will call out. It's going to use uh, the crap in your life. Yep, I said that. <laughs> Ryan said I've said worse. <laughs> anyway, inside joke if you were there, but if not, oops. Um, 
Um, you guys missed it. Sorry, you can't know about it. Yes, we did. But yes, my challenge to apply this for you is ask a friend about your blindness this week. It's going to be tough because they may tell you the truth if they're good people. If they really love you, they'll tell you the truth. Because real friends speak the truth. And you know what? Sometimes speaking the truth may be touching the very bone of unbelief that they've been living in for so long. And you do not want to go there with them because you like the chit-chats and the high teas and the high fives and the Sunday morning. Hi, I'm so good. We do not like the sweat and the tears and the sobby noses because it's too close. It's too close. It pains. It hurts. But that's what we need. And some of us need to go and forgive people of our past. And some of us need to do things differently. So ask a friend about your blindness. Number two, focus on what you see. He asked, Jesus asked him, what do you see? He didn't say, what do you not see? What do you see in the middle of your miracle, in the middle of your process? Not what is not what do you see right now? Well, God, I just see a mess and a woman crying every day. Well, that's a start because I want to know what's in your heart. And I don't want you pretending because I know you. I made you. Hey, you can't fool me. So just start with honesty. What do you see right now? God, I'm a mess. I really can't see much. Well, then we're going to start from there. That's part of your process. That's part of your miracle. And number three, which I love, and I'm going to get a little excited here. Turn your pain into praise. <laughs> Isaiah 54.1. Isaiah 54.1. <sighs> Nearly there, guys. Sing, barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Wow, this might have messed a lot of you up. You know what this simply means? Is that if you do try and do things your own way, you're not going to get the entire impact of your purpose. But if you sing when you don't yet see the miracle, but if you learn to praise God in your pain, then every song that you've, you've sang, every cry that you've cried, every tear that you've shed is going to be used for His purpose because nothing He purposes is in vain. And you may not have your full miracle. Right now, all you may see are shady trees. Right now, all you may see is just part of the miracle. The first step to healing. Oh, he called me. My father called me after 40 years. Or oh, I spoke to my friend after 10 years because I held her in the chain of unforgiveness. Or maybe, you know what, I've been so comfortable. I think I need to take the first step and it's going to hurt, but I'm going to take it anyway. Start singing, barren woman. Start singing when you don't have your miracles. Start singing in the pain. Start proclaiming that he is good even when you think he's not because he is good. 
And his goodness is not defined by our goodness. His goodness is defined by him. He defines good. And if he is good, then he's going to do what he says he's going to do. So sing, even though you don't see it yet. Sing because you've got someone with you that will be with you, that will carry you to Jesus. Even when you have no strength. Sing because God places us in a community like this that will love you no matter what. Sing, guys. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Because what God can do with your barrenness is many, many times more than what you could have done by yourself. You want, you want a husband in that moment when you're barren? Sure, he can do that. You go ahead, make a choice. But may, that may not be your answer right now. Your answer may be to sing, not for a husband, to, but to sing over your purpose. Because when God brings purpose and pain together, something beautiful is born. When purpose and pain clash in the eyes of God, a miracle is born. And today, today guys, I, I don't know where you're at. For me, I feel like I was in all of these places. Probably even all in one week. Sometimes we feel so totally blind. Sometimes we're just so helpless. Sometimes we suffer from partial blindness because we're starting to see the miracle. But he is for you. He loves you. And today I'm going to declare that our God is a good God. I want us all to stand up right now. And I want us to pray. I just want us to pray believing for those barrenness, for that moment in your life that you just can't give birth. And I don't mean physically. I mean those areas in your life that is just so dry. You know, barrenness means that they cannot conceive, not will not, not maybe the husband's, you know, problem. It's them. It it's like they cannot. It's not like they will not. Barrenness means there's no way they can. But he's asking her to sing in that. Sing in that where you feel like, you know what? It's never happened. And probably never is going to. Sing out of there. C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital. Where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God. And to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at C3Mumbai. Hey, it's Ryan here. If you enjoyed this message and you live in Mumbai, we would love to meet you in person. Why don't you come along 
11.30am, Studio 10 at Famous Studios in Mahalakshmi.